Father's Day to all the fathers that are here. And uh, the racers are out traveling on vacation, but John left us that video behind, so we can have a, have a laugh. All right, uh, not big in the stand here. And we'll have to live with it. <laughs> Y'all notice that? Okay. Everyone lean that way. Proverbs chapter 15 is what we're going to look at today. Proverbs 15, uh, 1 through 5. And, and uh, I want to give some practical help for fathers and, and for all Christians and people who desire to live in godly peace. I'm going to be thinking about wisdom, peace, and fatherhood today. Um, we're just going to walk through Proverbs 15, verses 1 through 5 and, and notice a few important things. And uh, hopefully let the Word speak to us today. Let's begin in verses 1 and 2, and uh, we'll go from there. It says, The gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. The first thing in this great practical book of Proverbs in this chapter that we see is the wisdom of carefully chosen answers and carefully crafted words. The wisdom of carefully chosen answers and carefully crafted words. You know what? People are, are angry today and defensive. And I think getting angrier every day is not healthy. It's not good. But I need to make a confession. Sometimes I'm angry. Sometimes I, I'm prone towards anger in my flesh and, and naturally. And I'm going to make a further, more sordid confession. I've been really angry this weekend at drivers all over Harrison. And uh, to the point that I was being tailgated. And uh, I even rolled down my window and stuck my arm out. And I, no, not what you're thinking. And I made a motion I didn't even look over to, at him to see what he was thinking, but I was trying to get the guy off my uh, tailgate. So when we get to the passing lanes, I'm thinking, well, the guy's surely going to pass me. I hope he doesn't have a gun. And, uh, <laughs> but he doesn't pass. He doesn't pass. It, maybe he could see by my long, ape-like arms that I was really angry. Maybe he was afraid I had a gun. And so from my, gosh, I don't even remember where this was taking place. It, don't worry, it wasn't here in Valley. I think I was south of here. <laughs> But by the time we get to Marshall, he finally does pass me. And I'm thinking, what kind of cat is this going to be? And it was, a, it was an elderly man with an Iowa plane. So that explained a whole bunch of people. But he never looked over at me. He never even made eye contact. And so I, I confess, I was really angry. And I was like, man, when I just get to my dirt road, when I get home, everything's going to be all right. And so we got the little side-by-side -side rig, and we go up to Grandma and Grandpa's house. And, and then we're on our way back down the hill, and, and my son's driving the thing, and we're coming down the dirt road. And man, there is this car. I, no kidding, on the dirt road, probably going somewhere between 100 and 200, maybe uh, probably about 40 or 50. And I mean, just coming up, and that's not a two-lane type of road. And I'm telling him, get over, and uh, the windshield on that thing falls down, so instead of having to stick my arm out, I stuck it out the front, and I made some more gestures. Down. I, I'm telling this, I'm getting angry 
three again. So, so road rage is a real thing on the highway, on the dirt roads. There's even now the sky rage going on, you know, in airplanes. You're seeing every day people traveling by plane, and there's <laughs> brawls, and there, you know, one, one pilot says, I need all strong, able-bodied men to come and subdue this person. And I'm watching this, I go, man, it's not just road rage, it's sky rage. And now uh, there's politic rage. And if we're honest, you know, there's unsocial media rage, and there's rage in our homes, and there's rage in our words, and there's rage even in our hearts, and that's where really ultimately it begins. And I think it's a, a great passage to start with as we think about wisdom, peace, and fatherhood, just thinking about the kind of words that we use, and whether they promote anger or they de-escalate anger. Christians are to be peacemakers. Following the way of Jesus. And an important peacemaking trait is having the wherewithal to stop and pause before we stick our arm out the window, before we let our lips fly, and to stop and think and carefully consider the answers that we give when we're confronted. This says in verse 1, the gentle answer turns away wrath and anger. So that's interesting. He's saying the way we answer people, probably what's in mind here, is not just the way that we speak on the offense, but it's on the defense. It's to say this, you know, when someone comes and confronts you or does something, maybe they attack, maybe they insinuate, maybe they insult, maybe they use a little bit of sarcasm, maybe they're just outright ugly, maybe they're screaming and yelling. What do you do? What kind of answer? How do you respond? And, and I know for me, it's not so much thinking about what I'm going to say sometimes as how I say it. And maybe what my face is projecting and, and uh, what kind of answers. How do you answer when someone is questioning not just what you do, but even your motives when they're bothering you, when they're attacking you? And this commends a gentle answer. Now on Father's Day, I thought, you know, I hate to get up and talk about being gentle. On Father's Day, because that doesn't seem very manly, does it? So we're gonna we're gonna honor fathers here at the end. And John was gonna get the cookies. He said, "We like the sugar cookies from Neighbors Mill, right?" I said, "Yeah, the sugar cookies." I said, "Man, I, but we just can't give cookies with pink icing to fathers." <laughs> and so I want you to know, the cookies that you're gonna receive today are not publicly available. They took the pink out. It's white icing because it's Father's Day, right? And, and men don't want pink, pink icing, and they probably don't want to be told to give a gentle answer. But that's what this says, and I thought, well, let me do a little word search here on gentle, the Hebrew word rock. I looked it up in my little Bible software, and it's, instead of gentle, you can render that. Here you go, you ready? Soft, tender, weak. I just put a frowny face. I'm like, no, no, I'm trying to go the other direction. But here was a good summary that's man-approved, Father's Day-approved. It's this. Answer with kindness and mercy. Now, now we're getting in the right direction. Kindness and mercy. Not being harsh. That's, that's the contrast is there is the gentle word or answer, but there is also the contrast, which is to answer harshly. Why should we... Answer in a way that is kind and merciful rather than harsh. I think we know the answer, but let's go ahead and, 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 and uh, chase it down. It's because it says here in verse 1 that a harsh answer, the opposite of being kind and merciful and gentle in our response, tends to stir up anger. So it, so it escalates what could already be an angry situation. It only makes it worse. It stirs it up. It multiplies it. 
And the result is what? When we give a harsh answer, more anger, which can lead to bitterness, brokenness of relationships, and driving others away. Harsh words alienate people. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I need, I need this correction today. Especially after the weekend I've had, but I'm not going to blame it on another driver. I'm going to say to you, I just need this correction. Because a lot of times, I'm anything but gentle and kind and thoughtful with my words. I don't have to let them sing and fly. And purposefully, sometimes I want to shut down a situation. And this says, no, no, no. The way you do that is with gentleness. Interestingly, one of the only New Testament teachings, I don't think it's the only one, but, but one of the few that is directed specifically at fathers, where it says, fathers, this is the way you are to father. It's found in Ephesians 6.4. And it has to do with this very thing. And here's what it says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. See that? A harsh word stirs up anger. It provokes anger. Fathers, do not provoke anger in your children, but instead bring them up in the discipline or admonition or instruction of the Lord. It's just a great word. It's a great word for us as fathers, but for everybody. If you don't want to alienate people in your life, don't answer quickly and harshly. So it's talking about the way maybe we, we, we defend ourselves in conversation. And then in verse 2, I think, is when we're talking and we're going on the on offense, we're leading the conversation. Maybe that's the gist of verse 2, where it says, The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. The tongue of the wise makes what we have to say, it, it puts it in a package such that it can be received from others well. We put a compelling or an interesting, maybe not spin on it, but I would just say presentation of it to where someone can receive it. All right, so we adorn our speech if we're wise. Conversely, it says the mouth of the fool spouts folly. So, so I've got my Bible program open and I'm looking up Hebrew words and I look up this one. <laughs> spouts folly. N-A-B-A, Naba. It actually can be translated to belch out. It, it's being a gas bag, is what we used to say. It's, it's belching out or spewing out way too much hot air, if you want to put it that way. So that's, that's interesting. The mouth of the fool spouts are just breathing out, belching out stuff that nobody wants to hear. So there's a contrast there. You know what? Not every moment is a teachable moment. Not every way we present something is a teachable way. I want us to consider the parable of the prodigal son for just a minute. I'm not going to read it, but I want to recap it. But this is one of Jesus' most famous teachings. And the reason I want to talk about it right here is because I think it does both of these things, verse 1 and 2, beautifully. I think it shows us how God graciously and kindly responds to those who actually may not need a gracious response. They don't deserve it anyway. They don't deserve it, but God responds to us with grace and kindness. And I think it also embodies Jesus bringing a teaching to a group of people who need to have their thinking corrected. But he does it in a way that's very memorable and that they can relate to. And Jesus in the uh, 15th chapter of Luke gives three parables back to back that build on each other. One is the parable of the lost sheep. 
He says, you know, a farmer, he has a hundred sheep, or, you know, he has sheep, and he's one that's missing, and he goes out and he finds that sheep, and he rejoices. They throw a party. He says, just like that, you know, when a, when a sinner repents, God and all of heaven rejoices. Then he tells a story or a parable about a woman who is missing one of her many coins and goes out and she has a search party, gets a lamp, and she finds it, and, and there's rejoicing. And I think that all of us can say, yeah, man, when I lose my cell phone, when I lose my keys, when I lose my wallet, when I lose something very valuable, when I find it, when I get it back, it's a great thing. It's worth celebrating. Sometimes we do a little celebration dance even, right? We want someone to celebrate that with us. He says, and now, he tells the parable of the lost son, or really it's two lost sons, I think. And it shows us how God is gracious and kind in His response to those who have treated Him poorly. So, you know the story, but I'm going to tell it real quickly. Anyway, up there's a man. He's a wealthy man in a faraway land. And he has two sons. He has the younger son. And he has the older son. And the younger son comes and he says, Father, would you give me my inheritance now? I don't want to wait till you're dead. I want my inheritance now. And the father says, all right, I'm going to do that. And actually, he doesn't just give the younger son his inheritance. It says he divides his wealth. That indicates to me that he goes ahead and gives both of the sons their division or their portion of what he had. The younger son, almost immediately, he leaves for the faraway country and he squanders it. And the Bible says in Luke 15, he squanders it on wild living. You can think about parties, you can think about alcohol, you can think about prostitutes, you can think about all of those things. It's probably what is pictured there. And he's spending all of that money, and all of a sudden, a famine comes on the land. You expect that the prices go up, and the money has been frittered away, and now the boy, the younger son, is left with nothing. He has nothing, and so he has to go to work, and he finds a pig farmer. For a Jewish kid, you're like, that's the lowest job I can imagine. But he goes and he takes a job with a pig farmer, feeding the pigs. And it says that the pigs were actually eating these carob pods. Think about bean hulls or something like that. Think about corn cobs or corn shucks. That's what the pigs are eating. And it says the kid wishes that he had something that good. And he's feeding the pigs and it says, but no one gave him anything. Now, if you think about all of the people that he has partied with, and squandered all of these riches. And he's given things to all of these people. But when the money runs out, where are your friends? Where is his friend? They're nowhere to be found. There is no grace. There is no kindness. There is no friendship there. And he says, you know what? I'm going to starve to death. And here's what I know. I know that my father's servants have more than enough to eat. And my father does not owe me anything. But really, the only recourse I have is to go home, to go to my father and say, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but would you let me be your servant? The older brother has stayed there and farmed and done all of the chores and all of those kinds of things. And here is this boy who has squandered what it is, half of what it's taken his father a lifetime to build. We don't know how much time has passed. But he decides to make that long, dusty journey home. And the Bible says in Luke 15 that while he was still a long way off, the father catches a glimpse. And rather than shaking his head in disgust and saying something like, I knew you'd come crawling back. It says that he runs to the son. 
And he embraces him. And before the boy can even get much out of his mouth, the father is putting rings on his fingers and royal robes on him and killing the fatted calf and throwing a huge party. Because just like the two parables came, that came before, the point is that the father rejoices when that faraway child, that one who has been a rebel and gone the wrong way, the father rejoices and embraces and opens up his arms wide with grace and kindness to the son that doesn't deserve it. Hey, could I say to you today that the gospel is that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is God flinging his arms open wide and making a way for sinners who have run from God and squandered their inheritance. It's God saying, hey, I welcome you back. I love you. It's a radical grace and kindness, and it's not deserved. And I think that when we really think about what this is teaching in Proverbs 15, about being Jesus' people, being peacemakers, being kind and gracious, the root of that happening in our lives really ultimately has to be that we see and understand and feel God's graciousness and goodness and kindness to us. We have to understand that we were prodigals. There may be some here today that still are. You are still running from God. And maybe someone drug you into church or maybe you felt like you'd come for your dad but you had no intention of responding or, or, or hearing what the preacher had to say. But what I want to say to you today is God loves you with a crazy, unbelievable, undeserved love. He's got His arms open wide for you. If you're a Christian here today, have you forgotten your time in the faraway land? Have you forgotten that moment where you knew that you had to come back to the Father and you had nothing to commend you other than your repentance? And He took you in. The gospel becomes the heart, the beating heart of our gracious and gentle response towards other people. And we forget it. We need to dust that story off. And remember that there are people that offend us and say things to us and shake their fist at us and hurl insults. What are we to do? We're to respond with God's graciousness. Back to Proverbs 15. It says in verse 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Now I sit here and mulled this over for a long time. Verse 3 seems very out of place in this passage. In verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 4, Proverbs 15 is talking about wisdom and the way we speak to others. And then all of a sudden, jutting in there is this little verse about the eyes of the Lord being in every place and seeing every good and every evil. What does that have to do with this teaching? Are you ready? I'm not sure. I'm going to propose three valid options. You can pick one of those or maybe you've got a better interpretation. Number one, it could just be a reminder when it's talking about our speech and the way we respond to people. It says, and the Lord is in every place and He sees the good and the evil. Maybe it's just saying, you know what? The Lord cares about the way you speak to others. He's aware of that. 
And it grieves Him when you don't treat people with grace. So, so our words matter to God. That's interpretation number one. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's to say that the Lord is in every place and every situation and He's watching. He knows the thoughts and the, intent, the uh, intents of our heart. And we as God's people are His hands and feet and His mouthpieces sent out. And He wants to use us to change an evil situation to a good situation. In other words, He wants to use us as His mouthpieces, His ambassadors to bring good, to bring light in a dark place. As Christians, we need to be aware of the problems of the Holy Spirit and the way He wants us to shine for Him. Maybe it's in the workplace or maybe it's in the home where there is tension and there is anger and there is rage and there is insult. And He wants us to be different. He sees that and He's grieved by the wickedness of the broken relationships. And He calls us to do right where there is wrong. Or maybe it's this. This is the one I like this. Maybe it's to say, God is going to judge all the evil done. And you don't have to be the judge and the jury in your conversations with others. You can hope the best and try to lead people in the right direction. You don't have to be condemning. Because guess what? The Lord will take care of all of those things. The Bible teaches that in the New Testament. Leave room for the judgment or the vengeance of God. He will repay. So, so we don't have to. In your conversations, you know, when, when you feel like you've got to correct someone, you've got to beat them down a little bit. Somebody needs to smack down laid on them conversationally. Hey, maybe it's that you need to let God be the judge. Let Him take care of it. Relieve yourself of that duty and that burden. I'm not sure why that's there, but it's there. Let's move on. Verse 4. I'm getting close. All right. Verse 4. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in the tongue crushes the spirit. I just jotted this down. The tongue can either be a tree of life or a crushing tree. Timber. Here's a final comparison in the way that we speak in this passage we'll look at. A soothing tongue, a tongue that brings calm and peace and health. It's like a tree of life, bearing its fruit and giving life to those who partake of it. But the tongue that is twisted or perverted, is one translation, with falsehood, is like Instead of a tree of life, it's like a fallen timber. Growing up, I had a, a friend that lived uh, all up in four or five houses up the road. His name was Ralph. Ralph went to school. He was a little bit older than me. Great guy. A lot of fun. I always had fun with Ralph. And I remember mom and dad coming in one day and said, Ralph and, and they said, Ralph and his dad were out cutting firewood. And his dad cut down a tree and it fell on him and crushed him and killed him. This has been 40 years ago. Never forget hearing that news. I'll never forget it. You know, you, you hear that kind of stuff and you play it over in your mind and you think about that. And it's a gruesome thing. I don't know why, but when I was studying this, that, that came to my mind. That news that I got about a young man crushed 
under a massive timber. And I thought about how our words can crush people. Crush the spirit. And it says it's a perverse word or a twisted word. What is that that crushes someone? Well, it's gossiping about people. It's slandering. Saying things that you either they're not true or you don't know to be true. Maybe it's just being downright blunt or ugly. There's a lot of ways we can twist speech. God gave us speech as a gift to build people up, to communicate truth. And when it's twisted, when we communicate lies and harm, that is to pervert a gift that God has given us. So a tongue can either be the tree of life or a crushing timber. All right, and here you go. Last verse, our Father's Day verse. A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. Heeding a father's discipline and voice. Hey, dads, no matter what age your kids are, your voice is needed. Your wisdom, your correction, your discipline. More needed today than ever. Our kids are hearing from a thousand or a million other places. They need a sage voice. Someone who has walked the path before them. Someone who can see some things that they can't yet see. Someone who has been down some roads that they need not go down. Fathers, let your voice ring out. As a voice of sound wisdom. And yes, discipline and correction. We need that. God has given us, as fathers, a great responsibility. I can tell you, we won't do it perfectly. But God has given us some helps in how we can reflect His goodness and His graciousness in our fathering. Really, verse 5, hey, it's not for dads, it's for kids. Children, Here's what it says. A fool rejects his father's discipline. But he who regards reproof or correction has good sense. Hey kids, young people, when your dad gives you advice, when he speaks, I know there's a tendency to <laughs> roll the eyes, bow up the shoulders, stop up the ears, Deflect our attention, you know, go to something else. Hey, I've been there. I've been sitting in that back seat of the car, and my dad's waxing eloquent, you know, and I get out of the view of the rear view mirror, and I'm going, you know, I've been there, and I get it. And you know what that is? It's foolishness. That's what it says. It's foolishness to disregard what your father or your mother, what your parents have to say. That's the path of foolishness. You want to be on the right path, young folks? Well, of course, realize that your parents are flawed. But God has given you that set of parents. And they're trying to help you. They're trying to help you avoid pitfalls and snags and snares. Listen to it. Take it in. Ponder it. Let your heart be open to your father's your mothers. Listen to them. That's just a great word from the Lord. Children, heed your parents' 
destruction. Before we recognize and honor the fathers that are here today, we're going to do that as our last thing in the service. I do want to have a time of invitation. And uh, here's what I want to invite you to do. Some appropriate ways I thought that maybe you might want to respond today to the message and to the words that we've studied. And the first one would be this, trust Christ. The first way that you can respond is to know that God, your Heavenly Father, holds open His arms wide with grace and kindness and love. And in Jesus Christ, He has ran down the dusty path to meet you. And He wants to save you and forgive you and bring you back into His embrace. So you can trust Christ today. That would be a great way to respond. Number two, if you're here and you would like to Join the church. We invite you to come. If you would like to come for a time of prayer, you can do that. Here's two very specific ways. Right there in your seat or maybe in the moments following the service that you might want to respond. I think the first would be whether you're a father, mother, whether you're a child. You may be both. Father, child, mother, child would be to repent of a misuse of your words. Harsh, overbearing, angry, vindictive, screaming and yelling, those kind of things. I know that that had to be a response for me as man. I need to check in my heart about some anger instead. I need to think about the way that I'm responding. And I hope to those that God has given me, I watch care over just to say, Lord, man, I'm, I'm sorry for the failures. Help me to reflect your grace. Where I've crushed, help me to be one built up. So, repentance and commitment to a better way of responding. I think that would be a great thing. And then the last thing I would say is, is maybe you're here today in your relationship with your child or with your parent is broken. It's, it's just broken. What could you do after you leave this place to help mend that broken relationship? You know, we get a lot of water under the bridge in life. Wrongs done to us. They did this. We responded this way. Before you know it, you're in a place you know what to be. And it really doesn't take that much to mend a relationship. It takes a humility, a desire to have it, and then it takes sometimes confession. But just going, you know, maybe it would be a phone call, maybe it would be a visit, maybe it would be a text message or something like that. Or maybe that person is sitting right here in this place and you need to mend a fence. Do it. I would even say to you, if you're convicted in that way right now, I would say, do it. Get your phone out, text, slip out. Don't let time pass you by. Fix what you can fix. Be humble and contrite and gracious and kind. Some great ways to respond. So would you bow with me? And I'll invite you in this time, however you need to respond. Do business with the Lord. You can come here and pray whatever you need to do. Father, help us to be a gracious and kind people that emulate 
your goodness in our lives and in our relationships. Rather than waving angry fists, we open wide our arms and embrace with love other people. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name. You respond now.